Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show and I'm talking to Brittany Freno who also likes to be known as Brit, and she's all the way from Brisbane, Australia. Brit is a personal trainer, business owner of Actively You, and body image expert. And she is passionate about supporting women to enjoy exercise, have a healthy relationship with food, and to embrace their bodies. She is a dog lover and has two corgis, and she used to hate exercise with a passion. Now, Britt formed Actively You in 2017 after her own life was transformed through changing her relationship with food and exercise. Britt used to lean towards restrictive dieting and an all or nothing relationship with food and exercise, and this had severe consequences for her physical and mental well-being. In the podcast today, Britt is going to share the ups and downs of her story, along with her transformative tips and strategies to finding peace with food and much greater body acceptance. So before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you know a couple of things. So I'm pleased to let you know that I'm extending my Jubilee offer on my 10 Steps to Intuitive Eating course. In this course, I walk you through my steps to embracing intuitive eating, sharing much of the work that I do with my therapy client. It's 29 lectures, 25 videos, and email support throughout. So the link is in the show notes if you're interested, and it's got 50% off at the moment with the code QUEEN. So I hope that many of you take advantage of this offer. Now, secondly, sadly, my Instagram has been hacked by some Bitcoin people. And I'm experiencing radio silence from Instagram in trying to rectify the situation. So if you value my Instagram account at the eating disorder therapist with underscores in between, please do report to Instagram the fact that I've been hacked and ask them to help me get back online. And I really hope that after like four years of posting and all that work that's gone into that account that I am back online quite soon because I really don't want to start again from scratch. So your support with that would be massively appreciated. But for now, let's get to talking to Britt and this podcast conversation. Hi, Britt. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Britt, please would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Thank you. So I am Britt. I am the founder and owner of Actively You. I'm a fitness and body image coach. I definitely started more so on the fitness realm, but in the last kind of 12 months or so, I've definitely made that shift into helping people with their body image and feeling good about themselves and their bodies and how exercise can actually play into that. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Oh, thank you, Britt. And obviously, you're on the other side of the world in Brisbane, Australia. So tell us a bit about like what's going on in Brisbane today. Like, (laughs) how is it over there for you? Well, according to us, it is quite cold. (laughs) So it was about maybe 20 degrees during the day today. So we all had our tracksuit pants on and our jumpers. So I'm sure if you're in the UK, you'd probably have shorts and t-shirts on at that weather. Yeah, it's been a little bit crazy here lately. We've had lots of floods in Brisbane over the last few months. I'm not sure if that made international news, but yeah, we've had two 
well, one really big flood and then another quite significant rain event. So, yeah, it's been a little bit crazy here, but yeah, it's quite nice that it's cooling down now because we usually get very, very warm and humid weather here in Brisbane. And good job for saying it right, because I hear so much Brisbane from other people, <laughs> from people not inside Australia. We talk very lazily here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. And I think it's still a bit warmer than the UK at the moment because we're kind of in just after the Jubilee weekend. It's pretty wet and miserable here. Oh, no, (laughs) I've been seeing the Jubilee because I have two corgis. And so I've been seeing all the Jubilee things all over all the corgi groups throughout Australia and everything. They've been dressing up their dogs for it. (laughs) Oh, how lovely. So tell us a little bit more about your corgis. So I have two corgis. Their names are Hugo and Primrose, and they're actually father and daughter, which is really cool. So we originally got corgis because we wanted a, where we were living, we had to have a smallish dog, but we wanted one that we could do tons of like exercise and activity with because we're very active people, my husband and I. So corgis are basically like a sheepdog with short legs. So (laughs) yeah, so I take them running with me multiple times a week and they're just absolutely amazing dogs. If you're willing to put the work into them, they can be very stubborn and they're very clever, but they're great fun. And I absolutely love having them around and yeah, they've definitely changed my life. That's for sure. (laughs) I'm the crazy corgi lady now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks so much for sharing. And I hadn't really thought about the fact that there'd be like this whole kind of dressing up of corgis after the Jubilee, you know, during the Jubilee weekend, I guess it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Mm. apparently in Melbourne, like they had like a massive meetup of like 50 corgis at the like Flinders Street Station or something and it was on the news and everything so they really got into the spirit of it here with their corgis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh that sounds wonderful. So Britt one of the reasons like that you're on the podcast today is I know you know you've struggled in the past with your relationship with food your body and exercise and obviously been on a sort of bit of a transformation journey so would you mind sharing a little bit about your story please? Yeah, definitely. So my weight and my body image is something I struggled with my whole life. I feel like my weight, I probably didn't need to struggle with. It was definitely more of my perception of my weight and my body than there actually being anything wrong with it. (laughs) But yes, so for quite some time, I kind of yo-yo dieted quite a lot. And in about 2014, I was on a antidepressant medication that helped me gain weight. (laughs) It just increased my appetite, which made me gain weight because I was eating a lot more. And so, yeah, at one point I kind of had a moment where someone thought that I was pregnant. And at that time in my journey, that was quite devastating for me. I've had it happen since and it really doesn't bother me. I'm like, no, I just ate a lot of food or I'm just bloated or whatever. But at that time it was quite devastating. And so I decided to get a personal trainer and that personal trainer, she was great. I mean, this is six, seven years ago now. So she was doing what she knew was best. And I went on quite a restrictive diet over that time period. I was only eating about 1200 calories a day, which is extremely low. I wasn't able to eat any of the foods that I love. I swapped out my chocolate, which is one of my favorite things for, you know, like little carob bears and things like that. So, you know, my diet just went so low and I did end up losing weight. I lost about 20 kilos over 12 months. But, you know, it was really hard. It's really hard to eat that small amount of food. And about that, that kind of having that exercise really helped me to enjoy it because previously I was such an exercise hater, like to the point of if you park too far away from the shops 
opening, I was like, you're making me walk half far? Like, I used to get so annoyed if I had to walk too far to get into the shop. I was like, this is exercise. This is annoying. I don't want to do it. So I actually came to really love it over that journey. And so I wanted to help other women to feel the same. So I became a personal trainer myself and was very much in that weight loss space because that's all I knew. And then I developed hypothyroidism, which my doctor actually said the type of hypothyroidism that I developed, some of the many things, a lot of them are, you know, chronic anxiety and that kind of inflammation in your body. And another one was, you know, like excessive dieting was another one of the reasons this hypothyroidism could be developed. So I definitely think that my yo-yo dieting and the restrictive, super restrictive diet for a year definitely contributed to that. So if you don't know what hypothyroidism is, it is when your thyroid is underactive, which basically just means everything in your body that you can think of slows down. So your digestion slows down, your brain almost kind of slows down, like you get really bad brain fog, your metabolism slows down. So you often will gain weight. Your energy is really, really, for me, it was really, really low. So, you know, I went from exercising multiple times a week to barely being able to walk the dog, you know, like I could go for like a half an hour walk with him and I would need to nap for like three hours after that because that just took all of my energy away. And yes, it was quite a devastating time for me having to readjust to basically a whole new lifestyle of having no energy as well as, you know, I'd gained weight. And so that made me feel very insecure about my body. I saw like a nutritionist at one point and she put me on another restrictive diet, which was like 1300 calories a day. And I did that for four months. I had no gluten and no dairy for that time. And I was able to increase my activity a little bit over that time as well. And I actually gained weight at the end of the four months. And at that point, I just said to myself, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with restricting my diet. It's not helping me. It's making me more tired. I'm done with, you know, thinking that my body is only worth something when it's at a smaller size. I was like, I need to find a better way to be able to feel good about myself because so much is out of my control with my health. And that's when I really started to focus on my body image and how I could improve it. And that's when I really started to switch my exercise thoughts as well, instead of being like, okay, I'm going to burn X amount of calories during this workout. I kind of switched my focus as to, you know, how well I was performing during my workout or some other type of goal. So it wasn't focused on my appearance or yeah, all that, I guess. Yeah. So that's kind of where I kind of started all the way through to kind of what triggered that change because, yeah, I realized, you know, a lot of stuff was out of my control and I needed to work with what I had and really working on my body image so helped me to educate myself around your health and your size and how that correlates. And I just learned so much and yeah, it's really helped me to then switch that. Like we, I've had clients throughout this whole period. And so I've been able to kind of switch them over to the new way of thinking as well. And so it's been really great to be able to see those transformations, not just in myself, but within my clients as well. Well, thank you for sharing that, Britta. It seems like sort of quite a journey, really. So, yeah. <laughs> and some real kind of consequences, like you sort of said, with the hypothyroidism. And sounds like yeah. that was really probably quite devastating to live with. And, you know, the impact on your sort of physical and then mental health. Definitely. You know, when I was super exhausted all the time, that definitely, like I have a chronic anxiety disorder. And although I'm medicated for that now, which has been an absolute game changer for me as well, working with my doctor on that. But, you know, it's really hard when you go from 
kind of living a normal life, I suppose, to, you know, having to sleep 18 hours out of a day and having, I felt like when my energy was really low, I just felt really bad about myself and I felt really useless and felt like, you know, like I come home and I haven't been able to clean the house or, you know, and my husband is the sweetest person. He's so supportive. And I would just be like, oh, he's going to be, you know, what if he's cranky because, you know, I haven't cleaned the house and he could not care less, (laughs) you know, all these things are just in my head. But, you know, all these things start to come up again because you feel that you're just not good enough because you couldn't do what you could do before or, you know, yeah. So that was a big challenge. And yeah, I do believe and I see now when I don't eat enough that my energy levels drop. And even now, even though my hypothyroidism has gotten a lot better and I've managed to come off of the medication for the thyroid issues, I still have to be very conscious of managing my energy and not doing too much. And so that's going to be a lifelong, I guess, consequence for me that I'm going to have to deal with because, yeah, I strongly believe because of that yo-yo dieting had a big contribution to that. So one thing I wanted to ask you, Brett, as well, is, you know, sort of back at the the sort of early part of your journey, you said when you sort of reflected back, you thought perhaps that you were too big, you didn't like your body, but when you sort of look back now, you perhaps realise that wasn't necessarily true. It's a lot about your kind of perception about your weight and your body. So could you just share a little bit more about that? Because I guess... We live, don't we, in Australia, the UK, Western world generally in this kind of diet culture where thinner bodies are idealized, you know, regardless of how you achieve that end goal. Mm. So could you share maybe some of the things that were perhaps quite triggering for you that made you come to that conclusion that there was something wrong with your body? Because I think that's something many of the listeners will relate to, really, that they kind of, you know, they look back at pictures of themselves when they were younger and think actually there was nothing really that wrong with my body but I felt there was definitely I look back at pictures now and I'm like I thought I was so big then and you look at them and you're like I was tiny like (laughs) you kind of can't believe that you had those thoughts about yourself but I believe there's two big contributors to how we start to view ourselves I think one especially as women comes down to our mothers and how they kind of acted about their weight when we were young and not trying to you know get down on mothers like at the time you know my mother's age like they didn't know the effects that them talking about their bodies negatively would have on us as children and they didn't kind of know any better they were also in this kind of trap of diet culture and needing to be smaller and smaller and smaller and so you know when you grow up with a with a parent who's kind of chronically dieting as well and you know, saying that they're too fat or things like that, you kind of grow up thinking, well, there must be always things wrong with our body because mum was always trying to fix something. So you kind of have that going. Not that like my mother never said anything negative about my body, but, you know, she would talk about that way about her own. And I think that kind of starts to you know, make us think that there's something wrong. And like I said, not their fault, but, you know, that's what happens. And I think also a massive thing is the media and how we perceive bigger people in the media. When I really started to stop and think about it, when I worked on my body image, every woman in movies, TV, etc., is usually a very small sized woman. You'll rarely see them exercising and they'll eat like an absolute horse. (laughs) And so, you know, like you'll be like, all these things can't go together, you know, like they're just supposed to be naturally thin and perfect and can eat whatever they want. And that's just kind of how life is. 
but anyone who's ever seen in a bigger body, like I think of like Rebel Wilson and things like that, they're always seen as, well, they have to be funny or they have to be, you know, something more because they're in a bigger body. So they couldn't possibly be desirable because they're in this big body, which is just ridiculous. But that's how the media kind of always portrays it. So when we grow up with, you know, the media showing us, well, this is the only acceptable option for you to be. You have to be tiny and yeah, you have to be tiny. That's the only option. You don't necessarily have to be fit or anything. As long as you're skinny, it's fine. And having that kind of constantly pushed, you know, growing up in the 90s and supermodels practically looking anorexic and, you know, that being the standard of beauty is very challenging to grow up in when that's constantly thrown in your face as this is the only thing that's acceptable and everything else is unacceptable and you won't be desirable, you won't be beautiful or worthy if you're anything else other than this, you know, tiny little percentage of the population that could possibly look that way. So I think that those two key things really start to frame those perceptions of our bodies when we're young. And then it just kind of continues on as we get older, unfortunately. And hopefully, you know, the generations to come, as we've kind of become a lot more self-aware, I feel like in the last few years of how our actions affect other people. So I think you know, our children hopefully will not have these issues quite so much. And as time goes on, that this will continue to improve because we're so much more aware of how we affect others and how our mindset affects other people as well. Thank you. I think you just explained those two different sort of triggers just really well. And it's, I think, yeah, you're so right as well about that kind of the older generation, I think, were just so strongly conditioned with diet culture, weren't they? That there wasn't that kind of awareness and questioning and curiosity and reflection on how it was impacting people's relationship with food and their bodies. But things are starting to change, thankfully. But we still have quite a long way to go, don't we? You know, I still think, you know, the power that social media could have in a much more positive way if Mm. there was a massive overhaul, it's just immense, isn't it, I think? It is. It Mm. is. That's something I teach my clients is anything that feels triggering as you go through your social media feed, you either need to hide it or unfollow it. Like you don't need that in your life. Like, you know, mainstream media, that's going to take a lot longer to change, unfortunately. I can think of one television show that has a woman that's in a larger body that is seen as a successful, you know, desirable woman. So, you know, got got so far to go on that, but we can so control what we put in front of our faces on our phones. So if we can remove those triggering moments, then at least we're going to have less of those throughout the day. And the less triggering moments we have, the more opportunity for positivity we have. So I just think, like you said, you know, social media has so much power for good and the more that we can, you know, fill our feeds with, you know, women of all different sizes and colours and shapes and, you know, all different things so that we can start to get used to seeing that because I think, you know, as we said that, you know, we grow up with this, you know, ideal image so we're kind of always kind of almost drawn to that image but as soon as we start to diversify that feed, we start to you know, start to see these images as acceptable, I suppose, because that can be quite confrontational to begin with. You can think that, oh, well, I can't follow that bigger person because she's not healthy. But, you know, you don't know that, <laughs> you know, just because you're in a bigger body doesn't mean that you're not healthy or active. So the more we can kind of put that in front of our face, the more we start to see, oh, look, look at this woman. She's, you know, a size 
16 and she's, you know, exercising and eating well but still enjoying her, you know, she has a glass of wine on the weekend and eats chocolates and, you know, just living a great balanced life. And so is this woman in a size 12 and a size 6. And, you know, having that diversity throughout our feeds, I think, really will help to really open our minds to the opportunity to having a healthy relationship with our bodies no matter what size we're in. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. So, Brett, you talked about obviously the hypothyroidism that you experienced mm-hmm. on the, and, you know, and you experienced on an ongoing basis, you know, in subsequent years, but sort of particularly perhaps triggered by that restrictive dieting. Could you yeah. talk as well about some of the other sort of negative effects of following such a restrictive diet and how that impacted you? Yeah, definitely. For so long, I viewed food only as good or bad. There was no kind of gray areas. And, you know, I would, I used to say, you know, if there was sweets in the house, it would call to me, you know, like there couldn't be a block of chocolate in the cupboard or the fridge without me just wanting to eat the whole thing because I was such in an all or nothing space. Like I couldn't just have a little bit. I would have to have all of it. And then I would feel terrible about myself eating it. And then I would just kind of go, well, what's the point? And I'm just going to eat all the things because, well, my diet's ruined now anyway. So I had such a negative mentality around food. Like I was either eating well and could feel good about myself or I was eating bad and therefore I was bad and had to feel bad about myself. So having that mentality around food was a real challenge to overcome because I absolutely love all different types of food. Like it's nighttime here in Brisbane at the moment and I had a delicious chicken that had, you know, a crumb on it, but I also had like spinach and veggies and it was delicious. Am I going to eat ice cream later? Yeah, probably. And it will be delicious. But previously I would feel bad because there was crumb on my chicken or I couldn't possibly eat ice cream without feeling guilty because that's a bad food. So, you know, having overcome that is so freeing. And I've found that, you know, working on that mindset around food and not being good or bad has helped me to enjoy food in moderation so much more because I found when I was restricting, well, you just like had to eat all of it. (laughs) Like that's how I felt. Like it's like it almost caused that binge-like behavior, whereas now I know that I can just have that food whenever I want. So instead of it being like, well, it's here, so I must eat it all because I don't know when I'm going to get the opportunity to eat it again, I can just be like, well, I can go to the shop and buy a Mars bar and eat it and that not be a big deal because, you know, I then don't feel the need to eat a Mars bar every day for the next, you know, week because I don't know when I'm going to get one again, you know. So I've been able to overcome that and be able to just be like, oh, well, if there's ice cream in the freezer, I don't need to eat it every single night. I can, you know, because I know it'll just be there whenever I want to buy it. So I don't have that need to consume everything that's in the house (laughs) because I don't know when I'm going to get it again. And that kind of fear and restriction around food, I found really caused that. And coming out the other side of that is so freeing. And it takes a lot of work. It does, you know, but I think it's work that's so worth doing because, you know, although like I think to myself, you know, oh, you know, I'm 10 kilos above what my goal weight was when I was, you know, losing all my weight. And I'm like, the amount of effort I would have to put in to lose that 10 kilos and the amount of restriction and misery I would go through and all just to fit into society's standards of what I should look like. I'm like, it's not worth it. I would much rather be able to 
enjoy a glass of wine on the weekend and eat the ice cream. And I'm glad that instead of putting the work into losing that 10 kilos, I put the work into, you know, fixing my mindset around my food and my body because that has just enabled me to feel so much better about myself. You know, I think, you know, if I hadn't every year, you'd be at New Year's going, okay, this is the year I'm going to do it. And like, are you going to keep doing that until you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old? Like, I kind of think like, you know, you think at some point you're going to stop, but will you really? Like, and is that how you want to live forever? So I think that instead of putting the work into, you know, restricting that food, put it into learning how to enjoy it. And I think that makes such a difference on your life. Mm. So Brett, how did you sort of go about starting to work on your mindset and move away from that very sort of black and white thinking where you were either sort of in feast or famine. Could you explain some of the listeners just some of the practical tools and steps that you implemented? Yeah, definitely. So I definitely started working on my mindset. I started challenging the beliefs that I had. So I was like, okay, a lot of it come down to my body. I found working on that helped with my relationship with food. So yeah, I kind of started working on like, why did I have these beliefs around my body that, you know, having bigger arms or having a bigger belly or eating chocolate, like, why did I think that was bad? And then once I kind of dug into the depths of that, I kind of was like, okay, so, you know, that's, you know, whether it be, you know, growing up with media and things like that, and always being the ideal woman with this size. And that's why I think being bigger than that is bad. For example, I then went, okay, what about on other people? Do I care if someone else eats chocolate? Do I care if someone else is not a size eight? You know, do I look at someone who's a size 12 and go, oh, wow, you've got big arms or, you know, like, and I was like, no, I don't. I actually couldn't care less (laughs) what size someone is. And I always say, like, we're not best friends with someone because they're skinny. You know, we're best friends with someone for the person that they are. And so I was like, okay, well, if that doesn't bother me on them that means that I can work to accepting that on myself and I'm always very big on making sure that you know you don't have to go straight to loving your body or having that perfect relationship with food take small steps you know if you go from hating it let's go to can we tolerate it so don't have to like it can we just tolerate it and then can we accept it And then can we maybe like it or be neutral towards it? You know, so just taking those small steps and realizing that different things, like, for example, you know, I might have been more okay with having a biscuit in the morning that might, because that's a less triggering food for me, I suppose. Like I like biscuits, but it's not something that ever kind of called to me in the cupboard, if that makes sense, whereas a block of chocolate would. So, you know, I could okay well a biscuit that's not quite as triggering for me so I'll start to eat that and then moving on to a food that felt a little bit more triggering and can I have it in the house and just have a little bit at a time and when I had that food I kind of thought okay cool I've eaten it let's move on that has no impact on who I am as a person or if I'm healthy or not so let's not worry about it and let's move on which is so much easier said than done (laughs) but yeah really coming back to those beliefs and taking those baby steps towards things and starting to another thing that really helped me with food was thinking of food as more or less nutritious as opposed to good or bad so obviously you know a sweet potato is going to have more nutrients in it than a block of chocolate but that doesn't mean that the block of chocolate is bad it's just less nutritious and I had an example given to me once 
between a cucumber and a tub of ice cream. And they, you go, what one is healthier? Well, of course, we're going to automatically say, well, the cucumber is healthier. But if you were on a deserted island and it was just you and a cucumber and a tub of ice cream, what's actually the healthier option? It's going to be the tub of ice cream because that is going to have carbs and fats and proteins that is going to keep you going for longer than a cucumber, which is practically all water. So it really, like I know that's a very extreme example, but it helped me to see that food isn't just good or bad. In different circumstances, it can really fulfill a need for us, whether that is an emotional need, like it might make us happy, you know, like we're allowed to be like, oh, let's celebrate and eat some ice cream or, you know, like whether that's just we really enjoy it or, you know, a nutritious need, like there's not good and bad. It's just more or less nutritious. And I found that was really helpful as well. Okay, no, thanks for sharing. So it sounds like really kind of starting to expose yourself to some of those old sort of trigger foods, but doing it in a gradual sort of baby step way. So you could sort of adjust, you know, maybe to the slightly less old forbidden food first before you kind of went for the foods that would increase your anxiety more. Yeah. And then also like really digging down on some of these beliefs and questioning them, you know, because I guess it sounds like as we all do in a way, there's so many kind of assumptions and things that we hold as truths, aren't there? But actually, when we start to Mm. dig deep and question them and really explore them with curiosity, actually, we can kind of realise maybe this isn't true or kind of fact after all. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I've always been a very you know, 80, 20, 80% more nutritious, 20% less nutritious foods. And if that means one day is 100% nutritious and the next day is 50-50, that's fine. Like it doesn't have to be perfect every single day, you know, just eating mostly, you know, whole foods and then also enjoying your favorite foods as well is going to help you to live so much of a happier life than if we expect ourselves to be 100% perfect and only eat good foods, you know, like in inverted commas, you know, but, you know, because all foods, you know, like they do different things for different people. And, you know, I think like my husband loves to get up and eat his scotch finger biscuits in the morning and they're not that big of a deal for me, but eating those, they were always deemed as a bad food that I couldn't have. So like you said, being that that was a less triggering food, that was something that I could help to be like, okay, well, I can have one of these and it's not a big deal. And then kind of gradually exposing yourself to more things. And during that time, also working on my body and how I felt about it and being okay that I might sit at a different weight than what I deemed acceptable previously helped me to be able to eat the foods I loved because previously I was always in feast or famine. So I was always one or the other. So really, if you balanced it out over time, I was probably eating the same then as I am now, (laughs) but it was just, you know, all really restricted or all the foods I loved, you know? So if you balanced it out, it's probably very similar to what I eat now, but now I don't have that anxiety around food because I've managed to be able to balance that out. So Britt, you've talked quite a bit about working on your body image and you know, I think one of the things you were mentioning there was that sort of almost just like acceptance of your body and becoming much more kind of peaceful with that, not fighting your body anymore. What have been your other main strategies for really shifting your body image in a more positive direction? Something that I've done and that I love getting people to do as well is to 
pick their spot because we I feel like we all have a most triggering part of our body. I kind of have two. It's kind of my skin as well as my stomach. So they were kind of my two like triggering parts of my body. And when I really started researching, I was like, I want to do some research into those areas. So I found out, you know, fun facts about my stomach and such and how it protects us and how, you know, our digestive system is actually like our first line of defense. And so I learned our defense for immune system. Sorry. So I kind of started to learn fun facts about my body. So then what that helped me to do is when I started having those negative thoughts about my stomach or wherever, I could go, okay, so I'm having this, my tummy's so bloated and fat feeling, but then I could go, but how cool is it that it can do this? So it just having something to kind of switch that mindset into positivity helped me to kind of stop spiraling on those moments when I would be like, oh, I don't fit into this dress or, you know, whatever it was, my tummy looked so big. And then I would just like totally spiral down about how much I hated my stomach or, you know, whatever it was that day. And but having those kind of things back in the back of our mind ready to go, okay, let's switch it to how about this cool fun fact about our arms or our skin or our stomach or something just to try and add something positive into the mix. And, you know, where would we be without our stomachs? Or if we didn't have rolls, we wouldn't be able to move the way we do. If we didn't have arms, it would be way harder to hug people. You know, little things like that. It's like, okay, learning to appreciate our body for what it can do and having that ready for when we have those moments instead of just appreciating our body for what it looks like. Yeah, great tips, I think, and um, Brett. You know, being able to just like move more towards appreciating the function, isn't it? Rather mm. than aesthetics. Really powerful. And it sounds for you like you really rooted that thought. So when you were inevitably triggered, it was almost kind of planted in your subconscious, wasn't it? So you could probably sort of draw on it and start to really challenge your thinking and start to, you know, really view things in a different way. Exactly. And I think you know, people might think it's silly to just sit there one day and do some research on your stomach or something. But when you have done that, like you said, you've got something to draw on when you are having those negative moments about your body. So you're not having to try and pull yourself out of that and then go to Google and Google something. And then you'll probably be like, well, this is stupid anyway. You know, you're not in the right frame. But if you already have that ready, you can be like, okay, let's quickly switch that go okay what's something cool I learned about my stomach though or what's something cool I learned about my arms you know so that you can kind of have that you know switch ready to switch to something more positive just to try and stop that spiral into that you know full-blown negativity about our bodies and I really have found it's helped and a lot of my clients have found it's helped as well. Thank you for sharing that I think really powerful tip. So Britt, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is exercise because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast struggle with their relationship with exercise in terms of either sort of over-exercising feeling it becomes a really compulsive thing or alternatively maybe like avoiding exercise altogether and then kind of going through cycles of being like one extreme or the other so I guess I would really appreciate you sharing your tips on how to get into a healthier place with exercise if you feel that historically it's been so linked to dieting and losing weight Oh, definitely. Like looking at the fitness industry, it is so, you know, embedded into diet culture. It's not even funny, but how I have started to view exercise and how I found has helped is, is viewing it as a celebration for what my body can do as opposed to a way to change my body. 
because for so long, that's all I did. I exercised because I wanted to be slimmer or I wanted to, you know, have my arms look this way or to burn off X amount of calories. But, you know, over the last, I like to use my running journey as an example. And all of us naturally will either be kind of more cardio or more strength dominant. One will be much more comfortable for us than the other. Mine is definitely strength. Cardio is not a strong suit of mine. So when I say running, I was absolutely hopeless at it. I could run for a few minutes and then I'd want to vomit. Like it was terrible. (laughs) It was terrible for me because it would make me feel sick and that was unpleasant. But yeah, so I went from that to, you know, really starting out slow to, you know, over the period of 12 months, I was able to build up and run for, you know, 45 minutes straight, which was just, unfathomable to me but you know over that time you know I didn't lose any weight I didn't you know so if I was focusing on those like metrics I would have deemed myself as failing but because I focused on look how far my body's come like look how cool it is that I can train it to do something that it doesn't naturally necessarily want to do like how awesome is that that our bodies can do that and that it can achieve that And so using that as a celebration and using that, like, look how far my body has come. Like, I'm so much stronger. I have less pain. Focusing on the positive things about exercise as opposed to, you know, just using it to change our body has been such a game changer. And something else that I find people do a lot as well is when they're like, okay, I'm going to start exercise. They start from nothing to like, I'm going to work out five days a week. And it's just too much, (laughs) to be honest. You know, I think you need a long time to build up to that. And, you know, like one or two days a week and just go for like a walk or do some Pilates or even do some stretching, something low intensity, something easy on the body so that, you know, you can start to enjoy the movement and have it not be this horrible kind of strenuous thing that you just have to do. Because I feel like when we start to put it in that place, it starts to kind of get more in that diet culture kind of space. Whereas if we start it as let's just do something for our body, I know that my body will appreciate moving. So whether that's, you know, some yoga or Pilates or stretching or a walk, just do that once or twice a week and see how you feel. And then maybe gradually increase that and then maybe do a little bit of strength exercise or, you know, so just gradually adding it in as opposed to thinking you have to do all or nothing. And I see that so often that people are like, okay, five days a week and then they end up super sore, super exhausted. They end up like, why am I not losing weight? Because they're not focusing on anything else that's improving and they just end up miserable and stopping. But if you gradually get into it, do smaller, slower, lower intensity movements that are kinder and gentler on your body, your body's going to appreciate and you're going to start to enjoy it a bit more because it's not this horrible, intense thing that you have to do. And then you'll gradually might want to do a little bit more. And then you kind of just keep going with this journey as opposed to feeling like it has to be an all or nothing journey. And something else, sorry, I know I'm yabbering on, but something else I think is a really good thing is don't ever think that there are no excuses not to exercise. You know how there's all this like, you know, these trainers that say there's no excuses, you have to exercise or whatever. Like there are tons of good excuses not to exercise. <laughs> you know, there are people with kids that have to be picked up or, you know, you might be just be really tired that day. You might not be feeling well. Like, you know, use those days and don't feel guilty if you don't do your workout. Just be like, okay, well, I didn't get it in today. Maybe I can do some light stretching in front of the TV or something. You just do something to move your body a little bit. You know, like 
feel that this isn't something that you have to do. This is something that you get to do, which, yeah, I think that when you start off slower, that's a lot easier to have that mindset as opposed to when you go all in. Okay, great tips there, Brit. And it sounds, doesn't it, it's those, those kind of gradual, almost underwhelming steps that are much more sustainable. Definitely. And yeah, just really listening to your body. And I love the fact that you're talking about I kind of get to do it rather than I've got to do it because it just mm. sort of flicks the switch, doesn't it? From yeah. it being this kind of pressure thing with all this judgment rather than actually it being a choice. Exactly. And I feel like, yeah, we always are stuck with exercise. I felt stuck in that kind of judgment space that I had to do this and I had to be the best at it because I was a personal trainer. So I have to be better than everyone else in the gym or, you know, and you so don't have to be like, do exercise and try lots of different types of exercise to find something that you actually might not mind. You know, I know it's hard to say that you like because some people are just so in that space of I don't like exercise at all, which is totally fine. I was totally there. But, you know, as you try different things and as you try, yeah, like you said, this kind of underwhelming start to exercise, but it will help you to find it to be sustainable. It will help you to feel just more comfortable with exercise. And then as you get more comfortable, you'll get better at being uncomfortable (laughs) with the more strenuous forms of exercise and it won't feel quite as confronting I suppose. Yeah great wisdom there. So Britt where can people find you if they want to sort of hear more about the work you do or connect with you? Yeah so I'm on Instagram is where you can find me the most it's at actively you underscore and I'm always on there so you can come over and send me a DM you know, obviously I post and stuff as well. I'm on stories. I share a lot of my puppies on there as well. So you can see them. They're great fun. So yeah, and I'm very real on there. Like I say, when I'm having bad body image days, what I've done to kind of help to overcome that. And, you know, I share, you know, what I eat and how I am able to kind of eat a variety of foods as well and how I'm comfortable with that. So yeah, I'm over there on Instagram and yeah, that'll be the best place to find me. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure that we'll put the link to the Instagram in the show notes because I'm sure people will be wanting to connect after hearing this conversation. Thank you so much, Harriet. (laughs) Yeah, Brett, sorry, interrupted you there. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think you just shared so many really valuable tips for the listeners And it's just so empowering to hear the journey that you've been on and how you've really worked on your mindset, your body image, your relationship with food. And, you know, I think it's been a really inspiring conversation. You know, I just really am sure that so many of the listeners are going to really benefit from this. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I feel like sometimes I can, you know, spew out a little bit too much information, but I'm just so passionate about sharing as much as I can so that you know even if one thing lands with someone and I you know help someone in some small little way then that all makes everything worth it to me so thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come here and to talk to you and to share my tips and tricks with your audience I've really loved it thanks Britt so I hope you enjoyed this conversation and do go and check out all of Britt's details in the show notes Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist. Unfortunately, my account has been hacked at the moment and I'm trying to get back online so I can access it. However, there are many posts on there already from the last sort of, I think it's three and a half years, four years where I have been posting. So if you want to kind of access resources around eating disorders, 
there is a plethora of stuff online on that account that you can access. And I hope to be like posting again soon once I am back online. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners and it pushes it up the Apple charts, which is always great to see. And the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast is often now between about number 40 and number 80 in the mental health chart. So I'm really psyched by that and really appreciate everyone that supports the podcast and listens. So thank you. And I'm extending the offer on my 10 Steps to Intuitive Eating course. So if you're interested in that, click on the link in the show notes, use the code QUEEN and you get 50% off. So thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. <music>